stay where you are. You cannot afford to remain the same. God is shifting you so that you will bring back the pattern of heaven. How many of you know we need the patterns of heaven? We need the patterns of heaven. We need the designs of heaven. We need to download in this hour exactly what is in the heart of God. We can no longer afford to be random about it. We can no longer afford to be accidental about it. We can no longer afford mixtures. We need the heavenly such a man in the book of Hebrews who may be seated in his presence who went into that place who went into such a place where the rest of his peers were drawing back from or looking at from afar that place of intimacy that caused him to be able to download the heart of God so that what he lived out here on earth was not according to how hard the situation was. It was not according to what the natural dictated, but it was exactly according to what he had seen from heaven. So God is calling us to such a place where our walk will be chiseled, not from the earthly or the natural, but from the patterns of heaven. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to come with me into the text for today where we will meet a man and his aid. The man Moses and his aide Joshua who walked with God in an intimate way so that God was able to use them to announce what was to come before it came. And they were regarded as faithful servants because of their accurate obedience of God's instructions. Because God's instructions are specific and detailed. Because what he may be instructing you may be for now, but he has the future in mind. So God may speak about something in the now, but what he's actually preparing for is what is coming. That is why we need to get in line with the spirit of God. What he is saying to the churches. Because what he is speaking now speaks about what is coming. Hallelujah. Glory to the living God. Come with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to read from verse 5 to verse 13. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and 
the rejoicing of the whole firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, saw my thoughts. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath that, sh that they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Hallelujah. Here we meet Moses, whom the Bible says was a servant, faithful in all God's house. Now, this is a peculiar introduction. Hallelujah. Because he says he was not just a servant, but he was faithful in his servanthood. Hallelujah. The Bible calls him the servant of God. And in comparison, when the writer of Hebrews speaks of Jesus, he says he was the faithful son. Now, it's essential for us to do a little preamble just so that we can tread together and get a picture of what the writer of Hebrews was meaning to accomplish through the writing of Hebrew, the book of Hebrews. So in the text that we have read, it opens up comparing Moses and Jesus and it exalts Jesus as better than Moses. And then it comes with a stern warning against hardening your heart if you hear the voice of the yes. Lord. Yes. Yes. Now this style of writing, the tone of this letter to the Hebrews is the same throughout the, the letter. Jesus is better than the prophets. Hallelujah. He's superior to the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He is the only ultimate rest. He is the great high priest who lives forever unlike earthly priests who die after they accept their term and another priest who need to be reinstated. Hallelujah. He's the ultimate and only once of sacrifice. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than the Levitical priesthood. All of this greater better, superior, the ultimate, the culmination, the one and only is presented to us in the book of Hebrews. It presents Jesus as a, someone in a league of his own. Somebody who cannot be compared. Now intertwined with the declaration of the superiority of Jesus are very specific and serious warnings to the Hebrew believers. Why was the book of Hebrews written in such a tone? Why was it written in such a manner? It compares Jesus 
with the earthly representatives of God and the earthly events that took place and it makes him superior, sets him apart and then he warns the Hebrews in a very stern manner. The reason why the writer of Hebrews had to go into detail comparing Jesus is because the Hebrews were faced with many persecutions because of choosing Jesus and forsaking the law of Moses. It was important for the writer to reassure them that what they have chosen is superior. What they have chosen is better. In accepting Jesus as the Messiah, they faced excommunication from the synagogue. They faced rejection by the high priest. Rejection from the whole community of the Jews. So in accepting Jesus, they lost everything. You have to understand that the Jewish lifestyle was integrated into the way, into the very being of who they were. It was integrated into everything they did. Every day a Jew was a Jew. So when they had to lose that, you can imagine how rejected and sorry for themselves, how lost they might have felt. In accepting Jesus as the Son of the living God, they faced death. Because death was regarded as blasphemy. Because in the Old Testament, the Jews are taught that there is one God. Amen. That's how they perceive God. That He's one being. Worship Yahweh. Hallelujah. He's the only God. Now, if Jesus is the Son, that means He's equal to God. Because the Jewish understanding of sonship meant equality. Hallelujah. So that was blatant blasphemy for which you could be put to death. So when the writer of Hebrews steps into the scene, he wants to reassure them that everything they've ever believed, everything they've ever practiced was all pointing to Jesus. Therefore, it was rendered valueless because the real had come. Therefore, their gain was much bigger than their loss. In fact, their gain couldn't, it was incomparable. Hallelujah. Now, Paul came to reassure them and to redirect their gaze, redirect their hope, redirect the anchor of their souls away from the physical temple, away from the earthly priesthood, away from the ceremonial sacrifices and rituals so that they could fix their eyes on Jesus. Hallelujah. It is important to realize that this book was written before 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. So the temple was still very much a significant figure in that time. So the priesthood, the rituals, the ceremonies were still very much in full force. But they lost all of it for the sake of gaining Christ. And I want to ask you this morning, what have you lost 
to gain Christ. Many times we want to drag into salvation everything else that we are. We want to drag into salvation our old ways, our old practices. We want to drag into salvation our old hopes, our old strengths. We want to drag into salvation the things that used to work us before and we think we can drag it all along and hold Jesus with one hand and hold the old with another hand. Let me declare this. True salvation will make you lose something. You lose friends. You lose sleep. You lose yourself. Hallelujah. You die daily that Christ may be seen in you. You lose everything. True salvation requires you to let go of everything that you may gain Christ. Now in the book of Hebrews, we are assisted to unpack and to understand many of the Old Testament writings that we would otherwise not be able to interpret. Hallelujah. Numbers or the law of Moses as a whole, the book of Psalms, the prophets are all quoted constantly. Paul, who is the agreed writer of the book of Hebrews, Paul trying to bring to them that what you have now is better than what you had. Sometimes we want to hold on to things that have been replaced. Sometimes we want to hold on to things whose season has passed. Sometimes we want to hold on to things that were teaching us about what is to come. Even when what is to come has come, we cannot let go because we are so used to the old. Now, we learn here in the text that we have just read about Moses and the children of Israel. Now, we got to understand something about the children of Israel. The Bible says in the book of Exodus chapter 3 from verse 7 that God heard the cry of his children. He heard the pitiful, heart-wrenching cry of his children. They were being mistreated. They were being oppressed. They were being treated unfairly. Worked hard labor without any recompense. They were being treated as less than human. Hallelujah. And the Bible says, God heard and came down. He took pity on them. Hallelujah. Because they cried out because of the hardness that they faced. And the Bible says, when God came down and selected a man to go and rescue them. There is something interesting here because the Bible says they cried out. They cried out and God took pity on them. Now, I don't know about you, but I would would love for the Bible to be 
specific and say, they cried out to God. They cried out, they remembered Yahweh. Just as in other texts, we read that they remembered Yahweh. That somebody stood up and said, enough is enough. What does the law of God say? What do prophecy reveal? Hallelujah. But in any case, God took pity on them and responded to them. Now I want to say this about this, about this crying out to God. God will take pity on you and respond when you're crying out in hardship. But time will tell if all you have are emotions. Time will tell if all you are is an emotional follower of God. God can respond to you because he loves you. But just because he has come to rescue you, it doesn't mean that you must stay in that state that he found you in. He wants you to move deeper into knowing who he is. Because to sustain the rest of the journey, you have to know who has rescued you. You have to know who has come to your aid, who has come and healed you, who has provided for you, who has revealed an answer that you were searching for. In order to sustain this journey, you have to come to know him. And as time went on, indeed it was proved that they were just emotional in their following with God. All they responded by was emotions. All that they were very astute in was the expression of their emotions. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We're tired. We miss this. We miss that. Oh, we don't believe we can lay hold of Canaan. All the way we're emotional people. I want to speak to emotional Christians this morning. Christians who walk with God emotionally. Our service of God includes our emotions because emotions are part of your affection. That's why we cry in His presence. Hallelujah. We love Him so much. But our emotions do not define your relationship with God. Because when your emotions define your relationship with God, and all you do is respond with your emotions, you are in danger of not hearing clearly when God speaks. When God speaks truth, nothing exciting. Hallelujah. There is nothing exciting to your flesh. There's, because we've been called to a higher place where whether we are excited or sad, whether we feel like it or don't feel like it, we've been called to a place of upholding the instruction of God against our very feelings. If you're an emotional Christian, time reveals you. You came to Jesus because he did this for you. And he always needs to perform. Always needs to perform for you. For you to stay. 
not settle for such a relationship. Have you ever met somebody who responds to an altar call and they cry and cry at the altar because something has touched them or they need something from this God that's being presented. But the very next day, it's though nothing happened. It was an emotional response. God against being an emotional Christian. Don't be an emotional Christian. When somebody speaks to you in an uncomely manner, you're out of the door. Why? You're emotional. We got a purpose in our hearts that it doesn't matter what we're feeling, but we are going to stay in the presence of this God. And so time revealed how emotional they were and they could not enter into his rest. Now in verse 5, the Bible tells us that Moses was faithful as a servant of God in all his house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. This is actually a quotation from the book of Numbers chapter 12 and verse 6 where God is saying to Aaron and Miriam, Moses is my faithful servant. Moses is faithful in all my house. How dare you speak of him like that? You will remember the story when Aaron and Miriam accused Moses of marrying a Cushite woman. And they say, how could he do this? We also hear from God. We also hear from God. And God called the three of them out to the tent of meeting. And he said, I need you to understand something. When there is a prophet in the land, I speak to him in visions and dreams. But not so with Moses. Moses is my faithful servant. I speak with him face to face. Were you not fearful to speak of him in this manner? So God comes to protect Moses. Hallelujah. Glory to the living God. I'm talking about intimacy with God. I'm talking about when you're walking in intimacy with God. And God changes you into his likeness. The verse above that tells us why God came to Moses' rescue. Because it says that Moses was the most humble man in all the land. So this is the kind of man that God has to stand up for. I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of woman that God has to stand up for. Why was he called faithful in all the house of the Lord? 
And the next part of the verse answers by saying he bore witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. He was a faithful witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. So Moses' accurate, faithful ex execution of God's instructions made him a faithful witness. Because in his execution of God's instructions, he made sure that he followed it to the detail. He didn't always understand why the tent of meeting has to be this wide. Why this has to be placed over there. Why this must not be touched. Why it was painted this color. Why the curtains were this color. He didn't understand, nor did he quarrel with God about it. He just executed. And the reason why he is now called a faithful witness is because he accurately displayed the coming Christ. Every instruction of God in your life announces Christ. When you obey accurately, then you are able to download a pattern that when men see, they will see Christ. We are meant to represent Christ here on earth. We are meant to announce him. We are meant to make him known to the principalities and the atmosphere, to the nations of the world. We will not do this through our own patterns, through our own ways. We gotta download the ways of God. We gotta make sure that the way that we do things here on earth is patterned after heaven. Then we shall be called faithful witnesses of what is to come. Faithful witnesses of the glory that is to come. Faithful witnesses of Christ. What a task. Who is equal to this? That is why when Moses, in the book of Numbers chapter 20, when nearing the end of his days. But I want you to know that it was not meant to be the end of his days. Yes. But his disobedience in that moment caused his life to be cut short. Disobedience will destroy your life. In the book of Numbers chapter 20, I'm going to quote it for you. The Bible says that God said he must speak to the rock for water to come out for the children of Israel to drink. Hallelujah. But now Moses had been incited against the children of Israel. They had made him angry because they were quarreling against him once again. Emotional people. Ticked off by the smallest thing. They had seen him supply water before. But they couldn't wait until he did it again. And they had to grumble. While waiting, don't cry while you're waiting. But God is watching you. And so, in their grumbling, Moses' heart was incensed against them. Instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the 
the rock twice. Now we had seen Moses striking the rock in horror. When they needed water, he struck the rock as per God's instruction. God said, struck the rock, and indeed rivers gushed out. And the children of Israel could quench their thirst. I'm sure for days and days and days as long as they were in that place. But the second time around, I'm talking about the patterns of heaven. That we can only get in intimacy with God. The second time around, God said, speak now to the rock. Why is God saying speak to the rock this time? Because the rock represented Christ. Who would be struck only once? Who would be crushed only once? Who would be crucified once and for all? The rock represented that Christ. Who would not die over and over and over again. So when Moses struck the rock again. He misrepresented God's pattern. That is why the judgment was so harsh against him. That is why God spoke to him as though he never knew him. When we disrupt heaven's pattern, we are of no use to God. When we constantly do it our own way, we become of no use to God. Because God has something in mind in the way that he's giving you the details of the instruction. You may not know what it is, but in the future it will be revealed. So God wants the pictures to align. The picture of what I do now must align with what God is going to be doing in the future. And God says to Moses, you shall not enter my rest. You shall not enter the promised land. Because I told you to speak to the rock, but you smote it again. Disrupting the picture I wanted you to create. The picture of Christ who was smote once. Once and for all. Hallelujah. And it says here, Christ is the faithful Son of God over God's house. And we are his house. Hallelujah. We are that house. If indeed, if indeed, somebody say, if indeed, we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Hallelujah. And then it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today. Somebody say, today. Now we know the story of the time of testing. We know the story of the time when they pressed God with their rebellion so much. God swore that none of them would enter the promised land. Hallelujah. The time of the rebellion. The time of testing. As found in the book of Numbers chapter 14 and verse 11. This is what the writer is referring to. When after they had scouted out the land for 40 days, they came back with a report of how good the land was. But over and above the good report of how good the land was, 
there was a crushing, more prominent report of how helpless they were against the giants who lived in the land. When the bad outweighs the good. When our perception is so marred, is so contaminated, the bad is outweighing the good. The motive for sending them out was first of all to make sure that they were motivated to lay hold of this land. Hallelujah. God is saying to them, you've seen what I can do. You've seen my ability. You've seen that nothing is impossible with me. Hallelujah. Not, there's nothing impossible with God. And he's saying, I want you to go take a peek at what I have in store for you. Can you imagine God's excitement at this time? I just want you to have a peek. Bring back some grapes. Bring back some fruit. I want the Israelites to have a peek of the goodness I'm about to unleash on them. They come back. Ten of them begin to declare to the Israelites, we cannot gain, we cannot lay hold of this promised land. It's too difficult. We will die. We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to the land of slavery. We want to go back to hard labor. We want to go back to the place where we were treated as less as human and then humans. We want to go back. Because what you are showing us is too big for us. Don't do that. When God shows you his goodness, his plans for you, don't call them too big for you. Don't call them out of your reach because you've come this far by his grace. You've come this far by faith. It's the same grace. It's the same faith that's going to take you into the land of promise. He didn't mean that they would go alone. He didn't mean that they would have to come up with a battle strategy all on their own. That's not where God was. God wanted them to take a peek at the goodness he was about to unleash. But the 10 leaders, we got to realize that the 12 spies were chosen among the leaders of Israel. Leaders, leaders. The 10 leaders, because of their unbelief, led the entire generation of Israel to not see how great their God is, but to focus on how small they were. And in just that moment, God turned his heart away from that generation. And the entire nation was condemned to fall in the wilderness. Hallelujah. But now we got to appreciate God because God had commissioned a word that was not going to return to him void. It may not be the older generation who gets it, but their children were going to get it. Because the word was going to accomplish what God sent it out for. Oh, yes. So he says, I'm going to kill all of you in the desert. Only your children will enter. Hallelujah. Only your children, even then, they're going to be shepherds in the wilderness. Imagine being a shepherd in 
deliverance. That's why we need to take heed. Our disobedience doesn't only affect our lives, it affects the generation after us. 38 more years were added to the journey to the promised land because of their disobedience. 38 more years. God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you walk around a, for every day that you were spying the land and you saw what you saw through your carnal eyes. I am going to make it 40 years. For, so there was a year for each day that they saw their own thing. My God. My God. Delay. Now, let's realize something. How close they were. How close they were. They were so close. Because Caleb and Joshua and the rest of the spies were able to go into the land and spy it out. They were very close. But because of disobedience, wicked hearts full of unbelief, they ended up walking around another 38 years. Oh my God. Disobedience will bring delay in your life. Disobedience will cause you to think, did God really say? God did say. But because of your disobedience, you're walking around the same road, just the same mountain. Hallelujah. Now we've got to realize that even though it's the leaders who incited Israel against God, against what God could do, but the whole of Israel bore judgment for it. I want to say to you that these leaders spoke exactly what it was in their hearts. Amen. Somebody put it like this. A nation will get the leader they deserve. So these leaders, they spoke exactly to the wickedness in their hearts. That's why when God judges them by striking them down, all ten leaders died on the spot. The children of Israel were not exonerated from their wicked act of not believing God. So sometimes we like to point at people and say, things are going wrong because this leader. Things are going wrong between because this one, this woman of God is living this way. That's why the youth is, is so wayward. Wayward. That this woman of God is doing this. This man of God is doing this. But let me tell you, God deals with us individually. You can't point at anyone and blame them for the way you are. And so they all suffered the consequence of a delay and wandered in the desert for 40 years. God was angry with that generation because they have not known my ways, he said. And their hearts are always going astray. Don't allow your heart to have a tendency to always go astray. Don't allow your heart to get to that point. How does your heart get to the point where God is saying purple and you say, no, 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 yellow. How does your heart, your heart can get there very quickly by you constantly saying no to God. A pattern of no. No, God. No, I'm not going to pray. No, I'm not going to read the word. No, I'm not going to worship. 
No, I'm not gonna forgive this person. No, I'm not gonna lift this, break this yoke off. No, I'm not going to stop being a mixture of a person. No, I'm not going to stop doing things this way. The more you say no, the more your heart becomes hardened against God. Soon it's just default reaction. That's just what you do. You just do that. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a series of no's. No, no, no. Until your heart learns that reflex. Their hearts are always going astray and they have never not known my ways. I said to you, they cried out to God and he heard them, but he wanted more out of them, that emotional relationship. He wanted more out of them than always reacting to them with pity. He wanted sonship. He wanted relationship with them. Hallelujah. And the person that I want us to look into who knew the ways of God. In the book of Psalm 103, verse 7, I'm going to quote it quickly. It says that Moses knew the ways of the Lord, but Israel knew his works. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Why did Moses know the ways of the Lord? Moses came to know the ways of the Lord by spending time with God. In his time spent in the presence of God, God revealed who he is. Amen. That's why I said when I began, many years of walking with God does not mean that you are intimately known to him and that you know him. Many years of walking, because they had seen him for 40 years, the Bible says. 40 years walking with God, but never learning. Never coming to know him, the person of Christ. You see, we can witness the works of God, the external outworkings of the power of God, but God really wants us to be in a place where we know his heart. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If they had known his heart, they would have known that God wants them to repent. During the 40 years of wandering in the desert, I am very sure that he was giving them time to repent. But they failed to repent, and so their bodies lay scattered in the desert. Yes. Hallelujah. Moses knew the ways of the Lord. He says in Exodus chapter 33, teach me your ways. If I found favor in your eyes, I know for sure that I will not be able to sustain what you and I have going on if I don't know you, if I don't know your heart, if I don't know your ways. Yes, I've seen you cloud by day, pillar by night, Parting the Red Sea. I've seen you doing awesome things. I've seen your external workings, but I want to know your intimate heart. Yes. And he did this by staying with God in the tent of meeting and seeing the glory of God. The Bible says when Moses left the tent of meeting, the glory of God had dropped, dropped off onto his face. The more he stayed with God, the more he looked like God. The more he stayed, the more he looked like God. And I love this because in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, the Bible says when Moses would go back to the people, Joshua, his aide, would stay in the presence. Now this was very significant because I asked myself when I 
Joshua's different report, Joshua and Caleb, I asked myself, but why did they react differently? Because they were also exposed to the same works of God, exposed to the same hardship in Egypt, exposed to the same re-education of their psyche about how small they were, about what, how they couldn't do this, how they would never amount to anything. But now his reaction to God's showing them, giving them a peak of the promised land is very different from the rest of them. And I believe the answer to that, Noxula, can you just read that for us? The answer to that is found in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Hallelujah. Joshua, the son of Nun, did not depart from the tabernacle. He stayed beholding the face of God, sure. beholding his glory. Yes, I love this because Mfundis said this on Thursday. God has no favorites. But you position yourself in a place yeah. of favoritism. Sure. Position yourself in a place where it seems like, you know, you are a favorite of yeah. God. Yeah. Because before this, we don't read anywhere where God is saying, Moses, come into my tent of meeting and bring Joshua. Yeah. Yeah. We, we never read that. Yeah. But there is Joshua, my God. Yeah. He has come to behold this Yahweh. He has seen him doing great things, but now he's come to know the man. He's come to know him. And then even after when his leader leaves, he stays. He says, I want more. I want more. He positioned himself for victory. He positioned himself for a total shift of his mindset. Total shift of how he saw things. So that when Rabbi hit the road, he was able to respond with wisdom. Respond with the knowledge of who God is. Because he stayed in the presence of the living God. I'm talking about intimacy with God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. People who are intimate with God are not scared of the assignments that God has for them because they know they are God. You may not know how it's going to happen. You may not know where the resources are going to come from. But, but if God has said it, you jump right in. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now it says here that their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my... And something, it has to come to pass. In the Passover, 
lamb, the deliverance that he instituted in Israel, whereby the angel of death was going around and killing the firstborns in the Egyptian houses. But because of the blood of the Passover lamb, they were smeared on their doorposts. The angel of death will pass over them. So imagine there's chaos all around you, but you are saved. There's destruction, there's death all around you, crying, wailing all around you, but you're safe because of the blood of the Passover lamb. So they've seen this, they've been in it, they are first hand witnesses. And then uh, he parted the Red Sea. So he caused the sea to open up so they could walk on dry land. Hallelujah. Glory to the living God. I don't, I don't know if we remember, sometimes we read this and we just go, the Red Sea parted. Moses held up his stick and the Red Sea parted. But, but Zalane, and it has, it has, you see, somebody tried to depict it, but then I don't blame them because maybe they didn't have revelation from God. And they made the Red Sea seem as though along the Red Sea, there was a part where it, it was dry. That's not how it happened. Yeah. Amen. Did you see that movie? Anyway, let's not talk about that movie. Glory to the living God. They, they made it seem as though naturally there, there was a, a time of day when the waters would recede and people would be able to... That's not what happened. A supernatural occurrence happened here where God caused the winds to blow the water open and the wall of water stood on the side and another wall on the side and they walked on dry land in the midst of the sea. The cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. All of it showing, showing them the ability of God. The manna, the water from the rock, the meat they had in the desert. The healing that took place when they were beaten by snakes. And Moses lifted up the brazen serpent. The tabernacle glory. The miraculous preservations that happened while they were walking in the desert. All of it should have taught them that God can do anything. Hallelujah. Glory to the living God. Now I want to close with this. The only believers who will survive this next period, the only believers who will enter into God's rest, the only believers who will carry the presence of God, the only believers who will display the glory of God are those who are intimate with Him. And some of you haven't been walking with with God for too long. Some of you got saved yesterday. But because you position yourself in that place of intimacy with God, God is going to cause you to have a download of patterns, a download of designs, a download of instructions that will be a solution to the nations of the world. Hallelujah. Today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Hallelujah. Today there is grace for you to lay hold of the promise. Today there is grace. Now I want us to look at this quickly. Now, they rebelled against Moses when when, uh, the spies came back and gave them a false report about the land. And God was angry with them and swore that they would not enter the land. Hallelujah. 
And then when they heard that God had struck down the ten leaders who had given this false report or this exaggerated report, the next morning they suddenly changed their minds and they said, okay, we're going to go. We're going to go and enter the promised land. But how many of you know that the grace was given for the previous day? That is why we cannot delay obedience and call it obedience. Today, why it is still called today? Today, today forgive. Today receive your healing. Today receive your deliverance. Today be saved. Today receive salvation. Today let go of that garbage from the past. Because tomorrow it will be a presumptuous act. Today there is grace for you. Today there is strength for you. So do not harden your heart when you hear his voice today. I want to say to you, oh my God, oh my God. That when you hear his voice, how you hear his voice is very important. We can all sit under the voice of God, but how you hear it is very important. Hallelujah. In the book of Luke chapter 8 and verse 18, it says, be careful how you hear. Some of us, the way that we sift the word, by the time it reaches us, our inner man is contaminated. The way our sensory receptors are damaged. In the natural realm, Sensory receptors are damaged by environmental noises. I don't know what environmental noises have damaged your reception of the word of God. But today there's grace for the noise to be silenced. For you to hear clearly what the heart of God is. That you can move forward with accurate precision. I just want to invite the pastor, glory to the living God. To come and pray over this word and prepare us for the next dimension that God is calling us into. Thank you, Jesus. Bless the name of Jesus. The word that keeps coming up is accuracy and precision. Even on Thursday in our Bible study, Bancosa spoke about. God being very specific in his pronunciation about what to do. In other words, God does not beat about the bush, about what he wants to see happen, but he gives you very accurate specifications. We are coming into a season where if your obedience is random, it will be equal to disobedience. If you think about this deeply, as Pastor Ayanda has been articulating this message, beloved, you realize that there is no other way of obeying God except to obey Him to the letter. Any modification, any adjustment to instruction is tantamount to disobedience. And I know that we are people in the dispensation of grace. And yes, sometimes we do stretch grace. And I just want you, and again, this is not a message that is meant to bring unnecessary tension to us, beloved. But the reality is that we serve a God of specifications. We serve a God who is very accurate. 
you know, Mama Kosa spoke about measurements. And Pastor Ayanda says today, it matters how you hear. I love Jesus. Jesus says, whatever you hear me say, I hear from the Father. And my Father tells me how to say it. So in other words, when God gives me an instruction, it does not leave it up to me as to how to articulate it. Praise the name of Jesus. And we do need that, beloved. We do need that. You know, I, I hear Pastor Ayanda uh, uh, speaking about emotional believers. May we graduate from emotionalism. May we get to a space, a, a space where we are sons of God. Sons of God are not led by emotions. But sons of God are led by the Holy Ghost. Praise the name of Jesus. I love the idea of understanding that it doesn't matter how you feel. But what matters is what did God say. Because this thing has nothing to do with your feelings. But it has everything to do with what God is saying. Praise the name of Jesus. Please be encouraged, beloved. Let us graduate. Thanks, Father. Let us graduate from emotionalism. Hallelujah. It, it really scares me. Again, what Pastor Andrew was saying, the issue of Moses missing the promised land because of anger. How many things in the spirit have been missed because of anger? Your emotional outburst. How many things in the realm of the spirit have we messed up because of an emotional outburst? And I pray that that may not define you. So again, I think the take-home message here is your emotional outburst will result in gross inaccuracy as far as your kingdom assignment is concerned. You cannot serve God in your anger. Remember, we were watching uh, one woman of God many years ago. You know, a very popular woman of God and you know, people were enjoying, we were sitting in the, in the room and she was preaching. People were enjoying the message. And I said to my wife, you know, I, 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 I really enjoy her ministry, but there's an element of anger in her ministry. I mean, a few months after that, her ministry was just destroyed, you know. I, I'm convinced, but I don't know that we need to deal with the anger issue. Praise the name of Jesus. The, the Bible speaks of, uh, well, it's not the Bible, but uh, the biblical history tells us of 400 years of silence between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. Strictly speaking, it was not silent years. Things were happening. But one of the reasons why that in biblical history is known as a time of silence is because what Pastor Andrew spoke about, there were no prophets during that time that were depicting the picture of the Messiah. There were no prophets that were accurately portraying the Messiah, the Messianic picture. And I, and I pray that we'll be not a generation in 2020 that will be deemed in history as a generation of silent years. Because we did not accurately depict the picture of the Messiah. I love the idea that whatever you do, there is a Messianic message in it. Oh, yes. This is another thing that worries me. Oh, yes. A generation, a, a, a blessing that skips a generation. Oh, a blessing that skips a generation. God's blessings are multi-generational. But they can skip a generation. Because of disobedience. 
How many of you want to decide in your heart that we are not going to be a generation that will be skipped by blessing? If there was a generation that was headed for the land of promise, but was skipped by a, gener by, by a blessing because of disobedience, beloved, believe me, this 2020 generation is not exempted from that. If God has promised that there will be a Pentecost in 2020, but because of our hardening of heart, because of our disobedience, we miss that Pentecost. History will judge us harshly. Can you just stand on your feet? I, I, I believe that we are going to be looking to a lot of things. There are things that we need to look into, beloved, so that we don't miss what God is doing in this generation. Just like 